want to share with you this morning this idea of leaping and following Jesus into areas that you may not know. Have you ever leapt before? Are you a leaper? I'm not much of a leaper. I'm a pretty, pretty big, heavy man. There ain't much leaping going on in my house. I remember when I was a young, I grew up as a youth pastor and, and uh, I remember I lit a national youth movement with another guy um, for our denomination. I grew up in the CRC. I don't know if anyone knows the CRC. I uh, grew up in CRC, which is an Australian Pentecostal denomination. We went away as a team, one of those team building exercises. Who, who's ever been on a team building work exercise and you think, I'm never going to get those hours back, you know? They make you do all these trust exercises. So we did a series of trust exercises and at the end they asked me to do the, what's called the leap of faith. So I have to put on this, we're outside, one of these outdoor kind of camps and uh, I have to put on one of these harnesses. Who knows that, that they lie about those harnesses and they say one size fits all? <laughs> Who knows that's completely untrue? Thank you, brother. One size does not fit all. So I put this very ill-fitting harness on. Makes me look like a very overweight Superman. You know, put this harness on. And then I climb this tree, these little pigs. Who knows that's the miracle right there? (laughs) They should have just said, he's done. Let's give him a round of applause. That was amazing. I climb this tree. We get up to this sort of two-story little platform. And the idea is this little kid who's 16, chewing gum, barely paying attention, is my safety, you know, (laughs) feeling very confident right now. And uh, the idea is you leap and grab the harness that's just in front of you. You you understand? The team is meant to motivate you by leap, 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 right? And then you're meant to leap and grab the harness and they kind of lower you down. That's the exercise. You following? So I get all the courage I can and I leap like, have you ever thrown a cat in the air? You know, you ever seen a cat like kind of, ah, you know, and I go down, not up at all. I miss the harness by like two feet completely. And I'm just like hurtling towards the ground, which looks hilarious because have you ever tried to stop gravity? You understand like, you know, it's not going to work, but your arms are trying to climb air. You know, it's not going to stop at all. And then at one point, the harness kicks in, right? That's the fun part. <laughs> you know, the harness kicks in and this guy gets rope burned. You know, he's trying to kind of save me from killing myself. And so then you know, everything pulls in the wrong direction and then he kind of lowers me down. Now my team have lost their mind, right? Because you've got to have been there, you know. Like, I mean, let's, like, people are on the floor rolling around holding their bellies. Because I missed the thing, this harness goes all the way up. And I remember, let's just say the harness went into places that it just should not have. And I remember kind of pulling it out and saying, burn that and nobody should wear that ever again. Like, just burn it. Like, we shall never talk about it and no one should wear that harness ever again. It's funny, you know, um, I'm doing some consultation with a church called City Life at the moment. Has anyone heard of City Life? Uh, it's the second largest church in Australia. I do that sort of, I do some consulting with churches part time. And uh, most people, just at City Life, so whether you're like a 10,000 person church or whether you're a 50 person church, most people don't feel they have the gift of evangelism. Most people. Like if I sit in this room today, give me a clap if you feel like you naturally just lead people to Jesus all the time. Give me a clap right now. Who feels like that? Exactly. About three people clapped. 
and they're the weird people who normally have got a gift at it. And it's a gift. You are a gift to us. I am like that. I feel like I have the gift of evangelism. But most people, give me a clap if you don't feel like that. All right, there you go. I've done this all over the world and it's always the same. Two, three, and see life I did the other day with a thousand leaders, 10 people clapped. And the other 990 were like, please don't make me feel more guilty about it, you know? We often feel guilty when we think about naming Jesus. And a lot of it is we've had bad experiences of leaping and trusting God. It hasn't always worked out like the movies or the people who are good at it tell us. But I think God requires us to leap. It is a faith step. It's like the woman we're standing with. We're standing with you. It's a leap. It's a faith step, isn't it? We all stand together and we leap. And hopefully we do it trusting God that God will move. And he does. I mean, sometimes he does in the most miraculous ways and we get to participate in it. And the thing, there's a few things we have to look at when we're asking the body of Christ to be like Jesus. You know, it's funny, um, those wristbands that were popular a few years ago, what were they called? What would do? You're actually the most stolen item out of the Christian bookstores, actually, ironically. Um, <laughs> not sure Jesus would be stealing them. But, but actually, I often ask churches, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Because we often think about what would he do? But I reckon if we look at Scripture, we actually have this incredible text that's supernatural that tells us a story about what he did. And I think if we're obedient to the way he is and we look at him in ways that I think so often we don't have the faith to believe. And in Luke chapter 7, I want to tell you the story about Jesus. He's with his disciples and in Luke chapter 7, he says he's coming into town and who agrees that Jesus was busy? Anyone want to disagree that he wasn't busy? Had a bit of a deadline? I think, let's think of a couple of things he had to do. Uh, die for the sins of the world, had to set up the church for eternity, right? Like, who agrees? You know, kind of three and a half year deadline, kind of busy. Who thinks their life's busy? You know? Um, So here's Jesus, he's kind of busy and he's walking into town, into the centre of town. And you've got to realise in Jesus' day and age, cities were set up with a a wall and a gate. At the centre, normally in the middle of town, was the temple and the marketplace, places of power, places of position. And on the edges of town, on the outskirts of town, that's where they got rid of stuff. And uh, Jesus is coming into town. The Bible says he notices a funeral procession going on. Let me read it from the Scriptures. It says, as Jesus is walking into town, and it's actually verse 11 if you're following it in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, it doesn't matter. Verse 12, a funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. Now listen to this. The boy who had died was the only son of a widow. And many mourners from the village were with her. When I travel the church around the world, people are looking for the special thing or program that will get people into church. What's the special, what's it? What do you memorise? What's the thing we say I don't think, you know, people expect me to do it or they expect me to do it. Here, here's the microphone. Can you, get, can you make people come to Jesus? As if I have some magical way to do that. I actually think that God is at work and we join Him in people's story. People, everyone has a story. It's their narrative. It's their story, right? And nobody can take away your story. 
And God has been at work since He knitted you together in your mother's womb. Whether you feel far from God, whether you've gone off the path, whether whatever you've done in your life, there is nothing that shocks God for your neighbours and friends and neighbourhoods. And what I think is interesting is that we often forget that God never sleeps, that He's more committed to reaching Officer and Casey and Berwick and Cranbourne than anyone in this room. And He knows everyone's story. And what I love about this is that in this Gospel, we have a story of a mum, a real mum, a mum who was probably married at one time to a man. We don't know her story, but let's imagine, think of an older couple you know who are happily married and then the father passes away, the husband. And you think, that's tragic. We just heard about a story this morning, someone losing a dad. And you think that's tragic. Who will look after that mum? In Jesus' day and age, there's no Medicare, there's no Centrelink, there's no, you understand? It was whose job to look after the mum? Who? The The son, right? The boy around the house would have to take the duties of a husband and care for his mum. And Jewish families, they lived in community. That's how it worked. So this story is so powerful. Because being carried out was who? Her only son. Her only son being carried out. Where do they they bury people? On the outskirts. Where do they bury that which is dead, that which has died, that which is given up on? I'll be like Mark. Mark's a really smart leader. Mark and I drove around this entire neighbourhood. Spent sort of drove to your offices in Berwick, which is just incredible what God is doing there. And we drove around officer and here's this, every place has a centre and an edge. Every family has a centre and an edge. Think about the relationships in your life where things are healthy. Think about the relationships where things are not healthy, where you have brokenness. Think about neighbourhoods that have brokenness. When I planted in officer, 2001, Officer did not have what it has now. We came back from America and it's like, dear Lord, look at like there's a McDonald's here now. You know you have a centre when you have a McDonald's. You know, like you had to go to Packenham to go to McDonald's. You understand like Officer was a drive-through city and yet now how many people are moving into this area, Mark? 40,000 people. That's more people than in Tasmania. You know, like this is kind of... There's all sorts of people with all sorts of stories moving into this area. And let me tell you, they're coming with all sorts of brokenness. Where things are working for them. They look, they're buying these new homes that look all shiny on the outside. And yet let me tell you, there's lots of things on the fringes of their lives that are rotten and broken have been thrown out. Marriages, relationships with kids. You know, when I first planted, and we, we, we launched in Berwick at Cambria which is the second high school, might be more now, in Berwick. Uh, Ian McKenzie was the principal and he had been worked in Dufton. That's where I'd cut my teeth as a youth worker. And I remember him saying to me, Kim, let's not be fooled by the people of Berwick who have nice shiny houses. These kids are more rotten than any of the kids in Dufton. He said they have no respect for anything that's new. They break everything because they're latchkey kids. Does everyone understand the term latchkey? 
which means their parents give them a key because they work long hours in the city and they come home alone, not parented, bored and distressed and broken, where they roam the streets of Berwick without direction. They may have a new Xbox and a big TV in their house, yet there's something broken on the inside. I think about officer, think about where you live, whether you live in Cranbourne or Pakenham or Berwick or Narrewarren or Beaconsfield. Think about where you live. Think about your relationships. What I love about this story is that Jesus is heading in, yet he sees the mum through the crowd. So here's my challenge to you today. Do you see what's going on around you or are you too busy? Do you see? Do you see beyond the new territory and the manicured garden and the You understand? You know what? People look like they've got everything together, but do you see? Do you ask the Holy Spirit for supernatural eyes to see? Number one. Let's get reading. And when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. What does your heart overflow with? We can get so busy sometimes in our life that we can miss seeing and feeling like Jesus. There's something incredible in the fact that Jesus in his busyness to save the world, to set up the church, to teach his disciples, that he sees a mum and his heart breaks. And his heart overflows, filled with compassion. What do you see when you see brokenness? You know, Berwick High School has the highest rate of suicide in our state. That's shocking. That should break our hearts. The kids in one of the most affluent areas in the southeast suburbs are killing themselves more than any other high school in our state. What do you feel? His heart overflows. And I love that his first words to her are, don't cry. And I don't think it's a rebuke like, woman, don't cry. Don't cry. I think Jesus, filled with compassion, pushes through a crowd of mourners that are carrying out her boy, giving up hope, carrying out her boy. I think he pushes through the crowd. He grabs the mum, embraces her and wipes her tears and says, don't cry. Isn't that our role as the hands and feet of Jesus? That we can't save anyone. Can you save anyone? Put your hand up if you can save anyone because you're the fourth member of the Trinity then. We can't save anyone, but we are the hands and feet of Jesus to see, to feel, and to respond by wiping the tears. And when we do that supernaturally, when we partner with God in the kind of way that Jesus did, when we do that, supernatural things happen. When we're obedient to God, when we respond, when we actually act, when we do the very thing that He has called us to do, which is to see, to feel, to speak, to wipe, to act, to respond in faith, to leap and to trust. And that takes faith. Let me tell you, what I love about this Scripture, what I love about it is it takes courage to believe that Jesus can act. My favourite verse in this scripture is what Jesus does next. Listen to the words of the scripture. Young man, he says, get up. And the dead boy sat up and began to talk to those around him. 
This must have freaked people out, don't you agree? I mean, nobody's expecting this, you understand? Like nobody's thinking, like people get the scene, people get the feeling, people get even the wiping of the tears. But Jesus then touches the coffin, which firstly rabbis don't do. You don't touch dead bodies. That makes you ceremonially unclean. He crosses all the religious barriers, you understand? Like he's like, doesn't matter that now I'm unclean. I mean, he could literally be banned from teaching at temple. He was a rabbi, he was a teacher. He does that, which is seen as probably completely improper. He reaches out his hand, he touches, they say he was probably on a plank of wood, touches the plank of wood and the boy, and the boy just sits up and he's like, hey, what's up? What's going on? And people are like, what? Right, it's a miracle, right? We're believing a miracle for you. There's nothing short of a miracle that we want for you. You understand? We're in the, we are in the miracle partnering business. What I love about this, what I love about this scripture, what really, really gets me excited is this next bit. Listen to this. And Jesus gave him back to his mum. Every now and then, and I want it to be more often, we get to partner with God in the gift of restoration. What was the greatest gift that could have happened to that mum? Someone tell me. She gets her son back. What did that do for her? Someone tell me. What did that mean for her? Everything. Let's unpack it. What does that mean? Security. Joy. Provision. Her boy is back. I mean, it's not just a spiritual healing. You understand me? I mean, the miracle's amazing, right? But it's, it's the fact that God restores a family. Isn't that what we're about? I'm telling you, look, look, listen. Whenever I say this, I have a queue of divorced people who come up to me afterwards. I understand if you've been divorced in this room, it's a tragedy. For all sorts of reasons, I don't know your story. But let me tell you, as a pastor of 20 years, when I see marriages put back together, I celebrate it. Because every now and then we get to see God steal back what the devil's trying to rob. Now, sometimes you get divorced and God puts you back together. And that's a miracle as well. So I'm not making a judgment on you. I have to always qualify that because there's always a, a small group of angry divorced people who will see me after the sermon. But I'm telling you that every now and then, that in a world of disposableness, where we just give up on marriages. I'm not talking about for abuse. I'm talking about marriages that are disposed of for all sorts of selfish reasons. Every now and then, the church, we get to confront people, pray for people, believe supernaturally, and God puts things back together. That's what I want to participate in. The restoration of marriages and families and cities and neighbourhoods and countries, because that's what God is at business at work at. I had a couple in our church plant named Craig and Sarah. Never forget how I met them because I was speaking at the National Christian Surfers Conference and being a dork, like full of these fit, you know what I mean by fit? Like professional surfers. Do I look like a professional surfer to you? That <laughs> I'm the keynote speaker at this conference in Adelaide and I sit on my chair like this and I tear my pants from the front of my pants all the way to the back as far as you possibly could. So I decided to sit and not get up in case I... Of a lawsuit, right? You understand? Like, so I sit on this chair and I think, I'm going to talk to anybody I possibly can. Hi, what's your name? Craig. And I'm like, I would not let Craig go, you know? It's like, Craig, tell us your entire story. Like, where were you born? Go year by year. I was waiting for the crowd to kind of leave, you understand? 
I find out Craig is a pro surfer, just split up with his wife and awkwardly she turned up at the camp too. Now they're about to get divorced and I, we're in Adelaide, but I find out they're from Melbourne, they live in Frankston. I give them my card and I say, if you ever want to call me when you're back in Melbourne, call me. Crowd leaves, I go home. I say to my wife, I wish I took his details. A month goes past. He goes off surfing, but he left my card on his fridge and his wife, his uh, separated wife, was staying at, they were sharing a house while each of them pro-surfed overseas. So one would come back and the other one would go to save money. And she saw my card on the fridge and she turned up at church. She was angry. She hated him. And she wanted our church to kind of help her through this divorce, which we were very happy to do, love her, care for her, take people wherever they're at. So we get to know Sarah. She gets part of our church. Then she goes to Sri Lanka. He comes home, sees the card still there. He turns up at church. Awkward. <laughs> right? Couple about to get divorced. I mean, they really hate each other for all sorts of reasons. I remember talking to him, and he's actually a really lovely guy, but he's kind of shut off. You know, one of these guys who like checked out two years before. She's the yeller, and he's the like eyes rolling in the back of his head, completely unengaged. And I just, I just feel like the Holy Spirit says to me one day, they both now arrive and they're trying to split up their assets, and they've asked me to help facilitate. And I just feel like one day the Lord says to me, say to him, next time she would say the most unthinkable awful things to him in these facilitation meetings. I did some of my postgrad in counselling, so I'm kind of facilitating and it's awful. It's one of those, you know one of those meetings that you go, I went home to my wife and I was like, it's over. Like there's no chance. Like God is going to have to do a miracle. You know what I'm saying? And you know the relationships in your life. You know the cities in our city. You know the schools. Like people do not know what to do about Berwick. You understand? I came from the city of Chicago, 400 homicides. You think of what's happening in Baltimore? What's happening in Chicago every weekend? Let me tell you, there are cities and neighbourhoods and countries that the, that the, human man can, the human mind cannot solve. It will take a supernatural act from God. And I remember saying to my wife, this marriage is over. But I feel like the Holy Spirit said to me, next time the, she's screaming at him, Ask him to scream back. And he's not a screamer. He was like a, yo, what's up, dude, Frankston surfer. You understand? Builder. You know what I mean? He was not a screamer at all. And he had checked out too. He, the way, he was like a turtle. He'd retreated into the shell two years ago. I said, next time she screams at you, I want you to scream at her. You love her. He said, I will not do that. Why? Because it's not true. I go, yeah, I think it is, Craig. I think you do love her. I think you shut out two years ago. Nick, I'm telling you, your marriage is over. We're splitting up the assets. You've got four houses. You're gonna, this is going to cost you a fortune. You're getting rid of furniture. You've both done despicable things to each other. You've done everything you can to hurt this marriage. I won't go into all the detail. But I said, I'm telling you, God is saying to you, I believe. It could be the pizza. <laughs> we have to qualify that sometimes because thus saith the Lord is a big statement. Could it be the pizza? But I think God is saying to you, next time Sarah screams at you, those awful cursed words, you scream back, I love you. Take it for what you want. Your marriage is over in all human senses. They met their last time with the lawyer. She was abusing the heck out of him. And he remembered this word. And he stood up and he said, I love you! And she was like, what? <laughs> I mean, they had not said a kind word to each other in years. She screamed some more. He said, I love you. 
I love you. And she kind of dwelt and she burst into tears. And they came to a marriage course that we ran. They reconciled their marriage. And now they have two beautiful children and have been married for 15 years. 15 years. Just celebrate. Got back. I'm just... God can do supernatural things when we leap. When we trust, when we see, when we believe. I'm telling you, don't give up, but you have to act. You have to move. One of my friends, uh, Danielle Strickland, is committed to the trafficking, uh, to solving the issues of trafficking of women and children. It's more profitable than drugs. Did you know that? And it happens in our cities, not far from here at all. When women and children are trafficking, I think it breaks the heart of God. Like it should break all of our hearts, right? So Danny, she works for the Salvation Army and uh, she's now in Canada. But when she was here in Australia, I would often meet with Danny and say, tell me where God's at work and how you're obeying him. She said, well, Kim, I got a bunch of pregnant mums and a bunch of women with blue rinses, like old grannies, and we baked all day muffins. And we turned up at the first brothel in Springvale. Knocked on the door with cards that said brothel chaplains. Knocked on the door and the guy answered the door and he's like, can I help you? And they talked their way into the basement of this brothel. They're talking to some women. This one woman says, will you pray for me? And Danny says, sure. I mean, they can provide housing and care and education and food, but Danny's a good Pentecostal. And she wanted to join God at work. And this prostitute says, oh, you can pray for me. I have a curse over me. Can you break that? She says, curses are my specialty. <laughs> she says, do I need to make an appointment? She says, I can fit you in right now. Pulls a chair up. Second prostitute walks down the stairs and she says, what are you doing? She says, oh, Cheryl, she's praying for me for that curse. She says, can you do me too? She says, I'll do two for one for free today. Pulls a second chair up. Praise for these two prostitutes. The owner of the brothel comes in to the brothel and says, what's going on? Aunt Betty, 90 years old, jumps up, shoves a muffin in his mouth. They surround him and begin to pray for him. And I say to Danny, what happens? And she says, the brothel owner gives his life to Jesus and closes the brothel down. Now don't tell me God doesn't move, he does. Don't tell me that God can't use blue rinse grandmas, he does. He can't use baking, he does. We have to have the faith to believe. I can't tell you that there's something magical about muffins. The pr- it's not about the muffins, you understand? It's not about the yelling. It's about obedience and seeing and responding. So here's my challenge to you as I finish. What do you see in Cranbourne and Officer and Beaconsfield? What do you see? I see a city of new people with shiny houses I went to my accountant after being five years away in Berwick and said to him, how much money do I need to live on? Because in America, like, everything's cheap. We lived off $30,000. I said, what do I need in America? He said, in Australia now. And he said, oh, Kim, what do you need or what do you want? Because people in the city of Casey and Cardinia are stretched beyond their means. They put up by nice new houses with nice new cars. And yet, and he's not a Christian. He goes, but there's something missing in this whole equation. What do you see in your area? Are you joining God? Number two, what do you feel? Maybe your response today as I pray will be you see, but your heart's hard. Maybe you're overwhelmed by it because sometimes it's overwhelming, right? When we start to think about trafficking and we think about the suicide and Beric, 
Maybe you just think about your family relationships and you're like, Kim, but you don't know my family. Trust me. I've seen it all. And so has God. There's no family crisis too big. But maybe you're like, I'm overwhelmed by the divide in a relationship you have. You understand what I'm saying? Let God melt your heart again, that it may overflow with compassion. Because out of that space, you're going to have the opportunity to tell someone, don't cry. God cares about your story. And I think he sent me to wipe your tears and meet the needs in supernatural ways. I want to pray for faith to increase in all of you, right up the back and down the front on the sides, that God will give you supernatural faith, that you will tell story after stories of where you stretched out your hand, where you struck the water, where you said the devil is not going to carry this marriage, this relationship, this, this school, this neighbourhood out on our watch. But we're going to stand in the gap and we're going to believe for restoration. And God gave the son back to his mum. Who wants to partner with that? Why don't you close your eyes and let me pray for you. If you feel God has challenged you this morning in some way, in breaking your heart and seeing supernatural and in responding, that you don't just want information, but you actually want to respond and be the kind of follower of Jesus that sees restoration happens. I want you to raise your hand this morning so I can pray for you right across this room. Father, I thank you for every hand that is raised. There's a sign of faith that says, send me. I draw a circle around me. I am a sent missionary to my neighbourhood, to my neighbours, to my family, to my workplace, to the gym, to the library, to wherever it is that I have daily rhythms. Let me see. Let me see the barista or person at Starbucks or at the coffee shop. Let me see the coach at the basketball, the YMCA. Let me see and let me be filled with compassion. Lord, the things of cynicism, the doubts, the bad experiences, maybe hurts, those which the devil has robbed me and said this is unfixable, that which has been carried out and given up on. Lord, we stand together as the body of Christ and say no more. May the gates of hell not prevail, that we are united behind you, Father, that you are restoring relationships and cities and countries. Father, I pray for Catalyst and Cornerstone, that they will be the kind of local churches that will put a dent in the enemy, that will kick the gates of hell and that will hear stories after stories of people who supernaturally responded with words and actions and deeds in ways that cannot be sold or programmed or repeated by faith. And may they know the good news of Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you.